Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host this week, Jeff Kasouf, and I'm joined by someone you know very well, Claire Watkins. Claire is, uh, she made the big announcement um, last week, is headed to Just Women's Sports on a full-time basis. You've seen her there uh, for a little while and and the newsletter and uh, excited for you, Claire. So Claire is in the guest seat now, um, and we'll keep you posted on the, uh, you know, the the pod here going forward and, and different changes, but um happy to still have Claire on here and uh, congrats on the big move. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It's my turn to answer the questions now rather than ask them, I guess. <laughs> um, no pressure on creating good questions here from me. So yeah. Um, so look, NWSL playoffs have begun, um, I think in spectacular fashion, first round games on Sunday, we had Kansas city prevailing over the Houston dash in the 90th plus 10, so the 100th minute, but not an extra time, so the latest goal ever scored in league history uh, in regulation. And then San Diego prevailing over Chicago in extra time, 110th minute winner from Alex Morgan. We're going to talk about both of those. Uh, we have, obviously, there's been a lot of updates um, on the some of the ongoing fallout, really, from the Sally Yates report. We have uh, a running post on EqualizerSoccer.com that looks at uh, the sort of day-to-day updates as things come out with various clubs, owners, fans, uh, players making comments. So I want to direct you there because that is a uh, more of a real-time update that that you can catch, um, you know, things as they develop. And, and even by the time we record and then post this, who knows if there's something new. So um, check that out. We are going to drill in on the games and also in part because um, I, I did some reporting on this for ESPN last week that uh, the players very much asked for the conversation and focus to be on the games. They, they were uh, at least the players who spoke mentioned kind of handling the, the trauma and the discussion privately this time, as opposed to maybe last year's sort of public displays and, and very much didn't want to get into those and wanted to focus on the field. And Claire, we had two spectacular games. So that does allow us to, to focus on the field. Um, I want to start with the Houston versus Kansas city game and get your overall impressions. Kansas city, prevails 90th plus 10 as i mentioned kate del fava with the goal uh maybe an unlikely goal scorer it was alex loera combining with lola bonta for a spectacular one two before the cross from loera and houston in front of a a record crowd for an nwsl playoff game that would be broken a few hours later in san diego but houston comes up short despite really mostly dominating the game. What did you take away from the result? Did you think it was fair? And uh, where do you think Kansas City goes from here? Yeah, I mean, I do think it was fair. I think we knew that this was going to be, well, I think we knew that both games were probably going to be pretty competitive. Um, Felt maybe going into it like Houston had slightly more momentum after the final regular season weekend. You know, they end on a win. Kansas City ends on a loss. Kansas City loses Desiree Scott. It just seemed like, they did not probably go into the postseason the way that they wanted to, but it also felt very much like a game after a week off. And and I think that there was an element of a refresh button for Kansas City in a positive way, not having had any games last weekend. Um, by the end, it felt kind of like the freshest legs were going to prevail, which I'm not sure was actually Kansas City. So maybe my answer is, if you had told me that this was going to be you know, a 2-1 Kansas City win 
at the death before the game, I would have been like, sure, that makes sense. Um, as I watched the second half, I maybe would have tipped it towards the dash, but that did not end up happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you mentioned Desiree Scott's absence. I mean, for me, that was the big question for Kansas City coming into this. Uh, Alex Luero slides into that DM role as expected. I thought she was one of Kansas City's best players on the day. Obviously, A.D. French made a bunch of big saves, and then I think Kristen Edmonds actually in the back with you know a couple of big 1v1 defensive plays that, um, you know, really, I mean, Houston – Particularly Maria Sanchez, you know, I think was was very good and, and effective. Um, Houston kind of knocked on the door all day, and and obviously had the equalizer with Sophie Schmidt pretty soon after the uh, the third minute penalty kick. I mean, you know, as far as dream starts go for Kansas City, you know that was it. But um, you know, Houston, I think there is a temptation maybe for folks to say, you know. This is a little bit of, I hate the same old dash phrase because we've been using it for, for way too long and I don't think it's applicable, but you know, it's an opportunity that Houston had once again, a big moment on, on their home field, first playoff game ever. Um, certainly the better team for, for the run of play and, and couldn't get this done. And obviously to lose, you know, on the final kick of the game and in such a late goal. Um, how do you assess Houston's season at large? Was this a disappointment given those circumstances? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that winning a playoff game in the NWSL is hard. I, I, I think that their regular season was a great success considering the institutional history of the club. Um, I think the thing that we've learned from many different teams, uh, obviously we can like probably speak to like Chicago being one of those that back in the day when there were four semifinal spots, right. And you make top four and that's really, really hard. And then you get a week and then you play your playoff game and you either win that or you don't. And so I don't think necessarily that the ending of that postseason game changes the success of Houston's season, nor obviously the success of the game itself in terms of the, um, attendance and stuff like that. But, um, I think, I don't know. I just think it's the nature of the beast a little bit. I think this is how this works. I think you are going to go in against a team that is probably just as good, if not better than you, and you only get 90 minutes to see it out. So does it take away from it? No. Did I think that they played their absolute best game? Also, no. And if they had done that, do I think they would have had enough to win this? Yes. So maybe more just in that there are things to learn. Um but the downside of learning stuff in playoff games is you have to kind of sit in the off season and wait until you can rectify those. So big talking point in this game on a Houston side is Ebony Salmon. You know, obviously the the team's you know goal scorer really for the second half of the season here, coming in the midseason trade. You know, in very good form, really since arriving, and she is subbed off in the 76th minute for Elizabeth Eddy as Houston's chasing this game. Well, it's, it's one, one at that point, but obviously, you know, you're chasing a winner and, you know, she is your goal scorer. Um, you know, post game one, Carlos Amaros said simply tactical, simply tactical, technical, I think is the two, the two words that he used. Um, just thought that, that Eddie could bring fresh legs. Was that the wrong call? Do you think? Uh, I mean, ultimately I think because it didn't work, you say yes. Right. Um, 
I think with substitution patterns, I always waffle on these because I think if you don't sub, you don't look great. And if you do sub and it doesn't go well, you also don't look great. I think that Matt Potter made some substitutions mistakes by not rotating more at the end of the match. And yet his team got the game winner, right? Um, so I think taking Salmon off, no, I don't think that made any sense. I think she is a player that you want on the field if you're trying to score a goal, essentially, if you're the Houston Dash. Um, I am always just a little bit, uh, what's the right word? I When a coach says an, a, something like that is purely tactical, I always feel like there's probably more to that answer that they'd rather just not share publicly in a post game. Um, you know, she did travel to England for the international break. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, like if you look at this and you think, yes, Ebony Salmon and Elizabeth Eddy, like for like swap, this is great. No, obviously not. Right. So it's either there's a more intricate answer from Amaros that he just didn't feel like giving in post game, or he was overthinking it a little bit, which can also happen in, uh, in NWSL playoff soccer. Yeah, I mean, I think it was an interesting answer. Um, you know, you mentioned the international trip. Um, yeah, you're right about the the substitution patterns, though, because I mean, we'll talk about that in the in the game that followed this. You know, I think that they were the reason that the San Diego Chicago game went the way it did. You know, ultimately on both sides of the ball or both sides of of the equation. So, um, yeah, I think it is maybe as a coach, you're a bit damned if you do, damned if you don't, and you know, you have to kind of. Uh, see see what happens and and make the best call you can and I think um, you know as you said maybe we'll never know the exact reason I'm not suggesting and I don't think you are either that that anything there's anything uh, more to know necessarily it could just be hey she was tired and and I don't feel like saying that but um, yeah certainly in retrospect you know probably one that that um, he might want back that they might want back and and she looked fairly puzzled by the the substitution at the time as well. Um, you know, I, I did think Sanchez was, was very good. One V one, even two V one at times, she was dribbling out of pressure. Uh, the couple of free kick opportunities that Houston had, she created those free kicks off the dribble. So, you know, even things that didn't really, uh, wouldn't necessarily appear on the stat sheet. Um, she was, she was doing, and then she was obviously making things happen on, on things that would in terms of crosses and, and, potential assists. Um, Kristen Edmonds, like I said, I thought was, was very good. Um, Kansas city now, you know, they, they look ahead and and they're on to Seattle for, I, I guess maybe it's not quite a classic Kansas city, Seattle playoff game, but you know, it's, it's at least in, you know, in theory it is um, a KC Seattle game. So um, Desiree Scott comes back, presumably Alex Loero shift back to, to the back line. Um, you know, you mentioned you have to do enough to win the game and, and that's knockout soccer. It, how do you like Kansas City's hopes, um, Kansas City's odds going into Seattle against a rain team that hasn't played in three weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the question, right? Um, in both ways, right? Way number one is like I said, Kansas City. Kansas City played to win this game. They played to win this quarterfinal by running what they considered to be their best players for a number of heavy minutes, despite obvious fatigue in the second half. Um, in that respect, though, I think the Desiree Scott suspension is a little bit of a saving grace, right? Because she did not have to do that. So they will have a defensive midfielder with fresh legs next week, despite the the way that the game went against Houston. Um and so I think that fitness is going to be a big question. I think that Kansas City might go in a little bit tired. But we've also seen, I mean, this is still a relatively new postseason structure, right, where you have team buys and then you have um, the quarterfinalists come in 
as we saw last year, the final was two quarter finalists, right? It it was people played in rather than people who um, had a chance to wait and rest for the rain is going to be very different than last year though. Cause they're not going to be playing at uh, a baseball field. They're going to have a little bit more of a home fortress, a much bigger crowd. Um, so I don't, I don't know the answer. I think probably common sense tells me that Kansas City is going to be a little bit tired, which leads to mistakes, which leads, um, to OL rain being able to kind of close the vice on the game, probably if they do go ahead in the second half. However, the NWSL in the kind of very American sports style way sometimes benefits the, the team that's a little bit more played in a little bit hotter. So my hope is for a good game in my experience. Fatigue is everything at this time of year. Yeah. And, you know, the flip side of that will be certainly very interesting. I think the rain, you know, we know what happened last year with, uh, we know what happened, you know, in many years. I mean, including those Kansas City, Seattle references that I made that are, are a different Kansas City, but that certainly this group from the rain will remember. Um, you know, the rain went through this last year where they had, the buy, um, Laura Harvey spoke about it recently. Even she's, you know, she thought that the weather in particular and on that field in that Tacoma baseball field was a, a real problem for them. It, it hindered their training all week. Um, you know, they were cleaning off, squeegeeing the field in the morning, not even knowing if they were going to play that day still. So, you know, I think that there is that weather element. I did, I did see at least a preliminary, I guess you'd call it at this stage of the week forecast for the weekend. And it also looks, like a significantly wet weekend in Seattle, which maybe shouldn't be surprising, obviously a better field, but, you know, I think there, there are some interesting similarities there in, in terms of the week off and, and maybe, or the several weeks off. And maybe that, um, I do wonder if maybe there is some benefit though, to the rain here, uh, as far as the rest goes, because they had the internationals that, that were, you know, obviously playing, there were a bit of, you know, I think every team at this stage of the season is a bit, uh, carrying some knocks. So I think, you know, to be able to, to get the extra weeks, try to keep some kind of a cadence. I know the plan was to to play a scrimmage and, and kind of keep some rhythm of a normal game week, but, you know, I, I think grand scheme, the rest is probably an advantage, but I do kind of come back to, you know, the point you made earlier too, of, um, you know, you have to kind of find ways to win and um, historically, including for the rain last year, for, for whatever reasons, you know, whether that's weather or not, the the break has not always been kind to these teams that get buys, including, you know, Chicago, Portland last year. Right. So um, I'm curious to see what we get out of the rain. Um, But, you know, would you agree? I I mean, I think for me, this rain team is, I guess, you know, the harsh way is kind of championship robust, just given, given what they've been through as kind of a core group, given, you know, where the veterans are kind of in, in the stage of their career, given where they are chasing down the shield. I mean, to me, you know, it wouldn't erase the fact that they had a heck of a regular season chase down that shield, but like this has got to be the moment for them to go win a title, right? Well, certainly they want to be in the final. I think that, you know, you got to take it one game week at a time. Um, They don't want to lose in their semifinal. I know that for sure. I mean, I don't think they don't want to lose at all, but um, the fact that the rain haven't even been in a final since 2015, I think is a sore spot for them. You know, we talked about this before about the fact that they have, you know, that, that trio of original players plus the original coach, like the rain have always been this consistently excellent team. And this actually, you know, informed some of our analysis of them earlier in the season, consistently excellent, but 
when you get to the finish line in, in recent years, they haven't been there. So, yeah, I mean, I think they have to feel good about their chances, especially because they did have so much momentum at the end of the regular season. Um, and then, right, you do also have the question of was that time off good or does that because, again, the rain are a team that can overbake it a little bit. We have seen that. And so a clarity of purpose works in their favor, I think, in a way that um, getting too in your head about it will not. But they also have kind of taken this tone this this year of, of of trusting themselves and trying to find ways to play as freely as possible. And I absolutely think that they're well set up to do so. Tactically speaking on this game, and we'll look ahead to that, and then we'll shift uh, to our, our other first-round game of the uh, the weekend that started this playoffs uh, with San Diego and Chicago. But looking ahead a little bit, just to, to stay on the Kansas City theme here, um, Kansas City advancing past Houston, and you know they get the rain now. And I don't think we saw by any means the best of of this current team against Houston. I think that they're they're certainly they've shown us throughout the regular season that they're better with the 13 game unbeaten streak. Um, you know, and some of the individuals, I think. If, it's probably fair to assume that Claire Lavoger, the way things looked post game without any further knowledge is, is not going to participate uh, against the rain, which I think will be a significant loss. Um, you know, I think Lola Bonta and Rose Lavelle, probably, you know, the two players who have the best shouts for best attacking mids this season in the league. Um, so wondering kind of what maybe if there's a particular matchup or area of the field that, that you think this game, the semifinal in Seattle could be won or lost in. I think it's going to be lost or won in the attacking thirds of both teams. I think that the midfields are going to probably cancel each other out pretty well. Um, I think that again, you lose, uh, you know, you lose one player, you get one player back in that Kansas city midfield. Uh, I think that it's probably going to be Kansas city trying to push tempo, whereas the rain will probably be trying to slow tempo down who can kind of get the edge in that midfield battle will control kind of how the game looks overall. But I mean, for the rain, it seems so simple, but they just need to finish their chances. I think that it will be someone like Kristen Edmonds or AD French or Elizabeth ball, who, if they can keep the rain out, if they can step up the way they did against the dash, I think that's how you win the game. And then you take your chances on the other end. You force someone like Alana Cook into a mistake or Fallon Tellis Joyce into a mistake. Um, and and so, yeah, so I, I don't think it's going to... It will be a midfield battle, but usually when you see a midfield battle, that means that the margins are outside of that midfield. And I think it's going to be truly just who is the sharpest in front of goal. Yeah, Laura Harvey's talked about that throughout the season and, and mentioned sort of when they the rain have had issues scoring, they've at least been able to keep teams off the board, fewest goals conceded in the regular right. season. And uh and these teams, it's been tight during the regular season. One nil result, um, split the season series, one nil for the rain away, one nil for Kansas City away at Lumen Field. So um it's been tight. I, I think it will be again. Um I think we got some I don't know if free flowing exactly is the term for Sunday's first round, but certainly entertaining and exciting. You know, I don't know that we get that throughout the entirety of the playoffs. Uh, hopefully we get entertainment, obviously, but can I um, ask you a rain question, Jeff? Sure. Ask away, uh, Claire. You are the you are the incumbent host. That's right. That's right. Um Megan Rapino played a lot during mm-hmm. the international break. Um, her form has was a huge part of OL Rain finally getting the, the scoring working in the final uh, month or two of the regular season. 
Um, do you think that reliance on Rapino when Mal Pugh left camp could affect the rain negatively this weekend? Or do you think that because we're so close to the end, it's just going to be about emptying the tank pretty much every single game? I would say both of those can be true. I mean, certainly she'll be emptying the tank. I, I do think it could affect, you know, just her legs in general. I mean, I think she's shown us enough in the past three months now, let's say that, um, you know, she's obviously up for the moment and, yeah. you know, anything that, anything that maybe was a lingering doubt. I mean, certainly I understood why she was on the roster for CONCACAF. I know many took issue with it. And, and at that point in the season, she was a 15 minute player basically for the, for the rain even. So, um, you know, since August 1st, July 30th, whatever that was when she came back and, and reintegrated, she's been a 75 to 90 minute player, you know, for the rain. And, and as far as we know, hasn't had a ton of issues. So um, I, I think, you know, she is capable of pushing through that and grinding through it. Now playoffs being what they are. And we saw this on Sunday in these games that we were talking about, you know, in the past tense now, if you have to go to 120, there's maybe only so much in the tank, right? I think that came into play for for a lot of players on Sunday. Um, so I think that could certainly be a factor. But yeah, I, I think you have to imagine it is a factor. I mean, you know, Huerta obviously was was held back um, among other players in that Spain game for, you know, at least the majority of it um, with an eye on the playoffs and obviously a, a conversation with Laco and, and these NWSL coaches. But yeah, I think it could be a factor you know, for sure, given her, you know, I think hate to kind of default to age, but it is, it is a factor. I think when you're talking about sort of younger players going through that grind. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, we will be looking out for Kansas city versus OL rain in that semifinal, the rain, as Claire said, trying to get back to a final for the first time since 2015, which um, really feels like forever ago and, and a weird statement to make, but um Kansas City all ran that first semifinal. The second one will be Portland versus San Diego because the San Diego Wave defeated the Chicago Red Stars in the first round. And we're going to dive into that first round playoff match much deeper after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host this week, Jeff Kasouf, and I am joined by Claire Watkins. And as Claire said, going to do the thing and just let you know, please go ahead, rate and review this podcast on Apple in particular. Hit us with those five stars and tell us what you like. It helps us, helps visibility of the podcast, and helps other people discover it, which is helpful for everybody, including us and you, in getting the word out. And head over to EqualizerSoccer.com for all the latest updates, plenty of NWSL playoff content. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have ongoing updates of uh, everything that's happening in the fallout from the Sally Yates report and obviously still an impending uh, release of an investigation from the the joint investigation from the league and the Players Association. So uh, lots of news to come. And of course, USA Germany around the corner. And Claire, I... I was going to tweet this too. It keeps sneaking up on us. I've been mindful of it myself, but I feel like there's not been a lot of discussion. The World Cup draw is this week. So yeah. uh, plenty of plenty to talk about. And we will um, talk about the results of that next week, certainly in addition to the NWSL playoffs. Um, let's talk playoffs and Chicago versus San Diego. Um, a lot to digest here. I think, you know, it was difficult to do- to top the first game, certainly for an ending, but 
I don't know if it topped it, but it certainly met the moment, the Chicago San Diego game. I thought extremely exciting game, um, a ton of really interesting tactical uh, battles and, and, you know, obviously an early mistake from Kalen Sheridan is, is the goal for Yuki Nagasato and put Chicago ahead. Even outside of that goal, the red stars looked very good to start this game. San Diego finally found a, um, I will avoid saying a wave of pressure, a uh, moments of pressure in those final minutes of the first half. And then Alex Morgan with the extra time winner. Um, Claire, I know you, you know, you've covered Chicago closely through the years. Um, This was, let's start with this. I mean, San Diego gets the job done expansion team, first ever playoff game, huge moment record crowd breaks the record that Houston set a few hours earlier, but also from the, from the game perspective, this was the best half of soccer we've seen Chicago play all year. Is that fair? Maybe longer. Um, I, I mean, sure. I mean, I think that it was one of the best halves of soccer we've seen Chicago play. Um, I think if you were watching them every single game, they had moments where they could do things the way that they did stuff, um, in the first half of this game. Um, ultimately though, I think the difference is, is that they just didn't have Morgan Gatraw until September. So, Yes, they they looked, you know, they looked good. Um, but the we saw it in pieces. I mean, there were games earlier this season where we saw Sarah Lubert do some of that interplay with Pew that we saw um yesterday. There were games where we saw Danny Colaprico and Vanessa Di Bernardo connect with their center backs the way we saw them. Um, we saw them do this on Sunday. And so I think putting it all together on the biggest stage, yeah, sure. Best probably half we've seen it from them this season, but it wasn't a revelation. It was simply plugging in a very important player into the midfield, moving a different, very important player into her natural position. And then having Sarah Lubert just, I think be slightly less hurt. She's been dealing with, with, I think an ankle issue throughout um, the latter half of the season. And so you just saw that in her mobility in the first half. And then again, you saw her mobility kind of break down in the second half. So um, to me, I didn't really watch the red stars and go, Oh my gosh, where has this been hiding all year? It's more just, the story of the Red Stars this season are are these little circumstances that have gotten in the way of them being their best selves, right? And so, and I think that that was the story as well of the second half. But the first half, they they felt a little bit more unencumbered by those things um, than we saw consistently throughout the regular season. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good perspective. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned the circumstances. You know, we we talked about. You spoke at length with Jason about the Yates report on our, our previous podcast worth acknowledging from my perspective, at least again, um, what, what I think we, you know, we all know and empathize with of, of kind of the, the circumstances under which every player in the league was playing uh, this week and, and will be next week and, and going forward here, but certainly Chicago dealing with um, things uh, among the teams that played this weekend, the most directly and the most uh, prominently, um, you know, given what, what's going on with ownership there and, and what was in that report and, uh, they even spoke to some of that in the pregame and and postgame, um, as as you were, you know, very very uh, very much asking Claire, um, and I was on there with you, and and you know, I think that the the weight of that moment obviously significant for everybody. I think maybe Chicago as well, but um, I did think that you know a fair point on maybe this. We've seen it in pieces. Um, San Diego was really struggling. I thought throughout that first 35, 40 minutes. And, and um, they did have some successful moments where they wanted 
were able to get Sheridan to play that long ball with the, the Taylor Korniak flick on that, you know, they were looking for and that Chicago was trying to prevent, um, you know, mistake aside from Sheridan, which really wasn't, she wasn't even really under pressure. It was just a bad mistake, you know, bottom line. But um, I, I did think maybe, maybe where I came away impressed with Chicago in this was their ability to cut off, um, you know, something from San Diego that, that most teams haven't necessarily been able to, um, and, and how do you compete with the tallest player in the league, et cetera, when you're, you're talking about this direct play, but, um, you know, Gutra, I thought Vanessa DiBernardo was, uh, very good and, and continues to be, and, and has been, I guess I should say in, you know, very different roles throughout the season, but, um, you know, the X factor here was always going to be Mal Pugh, uh, for Chicago. And, and that's been the case for the season. Um, you know, Pew, I think we saw in moments, you know, to, to speak to your point of seeing things in pieces, there were times in this game where it felt like she might be able to just change it on a dime as she, as she has so many times. And at one point, I think she went one V five, maybe it was one V six on a, a slalom run and probably should have had a foul called outside the 18. Um, but, you know, very clearly and, and maybe understandably um, ran out of gas at the end there. Um, you know, I guess we can get to, where Chicago goes from here, because we should, we should address this game at hand first. Um, San Diego turned things around with the substitutes and maybe the, you know, from a bigger trend of this game, Chicago, you know, the depth, not necessarily there. I think both Chris Precizelli and, and Alyssa Nair post game speaking to the year that was uh, or has been. And um, you look at Chicago, just kind of trying to, to ride out the result and, and get by with, who they had really San Diego with reinforcements to bring off the bench, Amir Ali, Sophia Jakobsen, I think was the game changer. Um, and, and ultimately had more legs, the wave um, is, is that an oversimplification in, in some ways that San Diego was just the team with, with more depth, more fitness and uh, was able to kind of ride out this 120 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing that did not happen is that Chicago did not, score a goal outside of the turnover. Ultimately, it seems very simple to say, but they get that turnover goal and then they get the momentum and they go into halftime up one, nothing. Right. And I think that that element, and we've seen Chicago struggle with that over times this season of yes, they, they, you know, their entries into the box are always really dangerous looking. You have someone like Pew, obviously who can drag defenders. You've got, Rachel Hill actually, I thought, did a did a good job of cutting inside and trying to find outlets in the box. And saw Sarah Lubert do the same on the ball, but they were just not really. I mean, there were some close calls. There were lots of close calls in this game on both sides. But um, yeah, I think ultimately just the fact that Chicago could not score. It, I mean, obviously that that Nagasato shot was technically in the run of play, but you know what I mean by not really in the run of play. Um, and, and I think that was really it. And I think once you get into the second half. Um, the Red Stars get tired, so they have more trouble holding the ball. San Diego wants the game to open up. They want to go direct. They want to make it very exhausting to chase them as they chase the game. And they were successfully able to do that. Um, Alex Morgan, I think, took a beating. And as we saw in the 2019 World Cup, when she gets into that mindset of being like, I'm going to put my body on the line for every single one of these it wears the other team down. And then, right, they bring in, they bring in Jakobsen, they bring up, uh, bring in Amira Ali um, late. And 
So I think calling it just subs is maybe a little bit simple, but ultimately it's San Diego wanted to make this game very, very hard to play and knew kind of to the like 0.1 percentage point how far they could push different players and then when those players needed to be replaced. Um, And I think that was ultimately what won them the game. Yeah, I mean, story coming into this game as far as news and injury report, Alex Morgan, Taylor Korniak had not played uh, in several weeks, had missed the the final match. Alex Morgan missed the final two regular season matches. As of Friday, you know, we're day-to-day. Casey Stoney called them very serious injuries. Perhaps that was a, a classification for past tense to some degree because, you know, Korniak goes 103 minutes, Morgan goes 118. Um, you know, so I, I think... Maybe there's some gamesmanship there, um, but, you know, I think you expect that in the playoffs as well. But, you know, certainly at the very least, these players, among many, you know, not the only two, but we're not 100%. And, you know, I think Morgan, um, the MVP conversation, which you and I have had on on this pod even, has been really interesting. And and for me, I I was really curious to see how this would play out as a sort of head-to-head, I I guess a quasi-head-to-head because they're not really – you know, running at each other necessarily, but, you know, Morgan and, and Pew kind of being the two big candidates and yes, Sophia Smith in that, but um, you know, I, I think Morgan um, Pew can change a game very individually in a way that Morgan does not, but um, you know, coming up with the goal in, in the way that she did, obviously um, getting beat up within the game already coming into that game, beat up um, you know, with, without Morgan and, and you could say the same for Korniak, but I think, if if they really were hurt and they can't start this game even, let alone play in it, I think this is a very different game and, and maybe Chicago uh, prevails. So, you know, you know, maybe just a, it's not a cap off because San Diego is still in this, but, you know, another sort of miniature chapter to, to Morgan's best club career, best club season yet uh, in her career. And, you know, the wave, I mean, we can get past, whether this is the most impressive expansion season yet, because clearly, clearly it is, um, you know, they, they keep winning in ways that um, it's very NWSL in, in many ways. I mean, Casey Stoney kind of came in and and knew sort of what the assignment was in terms of a transitional league. And that's how they win games. And for the most part, they've done that. They've lost a couple of strange ones, the four, three game in Washington that, you know, ultimately maybe help maybe cost them the shield race, but um as predictable as the route one may be, and, and maybe it's not the prettiest thing, um, they, they've gotten the job done. And, you know, I, I should point out, I, I guess I'd be curious who kind of your maybe standout player from the game was, Claire. But for me, the, there's the Morgan conversation, which we just had. Um, but I, you know, I don't know that she was the best player on the field, but Sophia Jakobsen was the most pleasantly surprising if you're San Diego, because um, Casey Stone even says this post game where, Jakobsen's kind of struggled to adjust this year, hasn't necessarily settled in the way you might expect a, a veteran, big international player to. Um, and I, I thought she, you know, really coming on at halftime, changed this game and obviously set up the the Emily Van Eggman goal, the equalizer, and, you know, was very good on that wing, changed the dyma- dynamics completely. So um, San Diego going forward, I mean, who who stood out to you and maybe – you know, to, to look forward a little bit as we look ahead now, San Diego going back to Portland and we can talk about the, the matchup there, but um, who might be an important player for the wave as we look forward? 
I mean, I think it has to be Emily Van Egmond. Um, you know, she's kind of, I don't want to say like flown under the radar because I do think that people have been bringing her up, but it's like she, she almost became their Iron Woman, right? Like she has almost played all of the minutes of the season, <laughs> right. but not quite. So like she doesn't get her face on the graphic or whatever, but, um, she, for, for a team that does play very direct, um, that means that her job is mostly defensive and, that was incredibly important against Chicago. She had one, I mean, again, it is what it is. She had like one tactical foul on Pew, which gave her the one red card or not red card, the yellow card that she got in that match, which is like, yeah, is that a cynical move? Yes. Did it, was it an important interception? Also? Yes. You know? Um, and, and then, yeah, her becoming that outlet cutting inside for Jakobsen, because Jakobsen was getting a lot of space in that um, Chicago three-back system behind Rachel Hill. I, I think that those connections are the ones that maybe, like, win you a game when it's, like, it's so subtle, but it's like, yes, San Diego is absolutely route one, right? But if that's not giving you exactly the thing that you need – Van Egmond is the kind of player that can provide one slight little wrinkle that could throw the other team off. So I think, again, are they going to be trying to out-battle Portland's midfield? No. I think Portland has possibly the best midfield in the league. But that allows you to make adjustments for the things that are not working. And that's also what we saw. And I, I do think to a certain extent, again, not a secret, but a little bit of a secret weapon for for San Diego, truly is Casey Stoney's mid-game management, which I think is is quite strong at times. It is, yeah. And I think for me, um, you mentioned the midfield battle maybe ahead for for Portland San Diego. I think Jaden Shaw has been very good for San Diego. Um, yeah. Kelsey you know, Turnbow also had an excellent match against yeah. against Chicago. Yeah. Um so I mean, you know, I, I'm just thinking of, you know, Shaw even regardless of her age, regardless of, you know, put aside being a teenager, she's been very good, period. Um and, and I thought the moments where she was able to get faced up one v one, whether it was with Tata Malazzo or, or um, I think sometimes it was it was Sarah Lubert, um, you know, they were they were promising, and and it's something that you know I think San Diego will want more of against Portland um, from Shaw. So I, I think you know potentially in terms of again maybe not under the radar, but just players who aren't necessarily top of mind for for the general fan. I think could be a place to watch um, moving forward. So um, Thorns wave, really interesting matchup, really interesting season series. I, I'm actually, you know, as far as the matchups that could have been, I know, you know, Chicago Portland could have been a rematch of last year's semifinal, but um, I'm excited to see wave Thorns, at least for on the field, um, because, you know, I think that the two, two draw earlier in the season, Taylor Korniak scores both goals, you know, San Diego down two nil at home uh, after the 80th minute. And then, you know, the game on August 27th, which the wave go to Providence park, win two nil very convincingly. So, and, and kind of very much in the fashion that we just mentioned of, of that sort of the way that the wave have won many games this year, um, which I think stood out to me just in that, you know, Portland knew what was coming and, and it was still very much San Diego show in Portland. Um, I, I'm excited to see how that plays out, you know, in this semifinal. Um, early, early thoughts on, on the semifinal. You mentioned that midfield and maybe San Diego's able to bypass it, but I, I guess I'd phrase it to you this way, Claire. You know, the last meeting was that 2-0 victory for San Diego over Portland in Portland. Um, what do the Thorns need to change from the last time out? 
I think Portland should be more concerned about what it was that lost in the shield, you know, than than going back to San Diego specifically. Because Portland is the kind of team that I think I believe them to be one of the best teams in the league, but as kind of seen by them not winning the shield, they do have the ability to lose control. And I think that was San Diego's main goal in the second half against Chicago was to still not let just like have the Red Stars lose control. Like number thing number one, take control away from your opponent. And then number two, let's execute within that, right? And I think for Portland, that three, what was that? That it was three three, right? Three three draw against Gotham. Guys, it's been so long. Three yep, three draw three, against three. Gotham, yep. right? Um that was about a loss of control in the second half of a game. And how do you, what do you do? You do the things that like Chicago tried to do. You try to maintain tempo. You try to hold onto the ball, keep it on the ground, um, recycle through your midfield, which you know has advantages over their midfield and then methodically take your chances. Right. Um, they are going to be less tired than San Diego, which I think should allow them to do that. It's kind of like the rain versus Kansas city. Um, but the other thing about playoff soccer though, is sometimes with NWSL teams, it's very hard for them to, go against their instincts. And as we know, many NWSL players, their instinct is to get into a a kind of fast, high transition game. So I think that the impetus is on Portland to not allow San Diego to get the kind of game that they want um, while learning from letting those goals, those last two goals up against Gotham, actually. I think that is the lesson that they need to have in the back of their head more than the one against San Diego because I think San Diego, they were doing heavy rotation. They were within a heavy rotation cycle. So a little bit different when you've got your favorite best 11, I think. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I don't think, not the hugest rotation. I mean, I, you know, I think you look at that that f- lineup that Portland rolled out against San Diego last time. You know, I think you could make the argument full strength for the most part. Um, but you know, I think a fair point about about blowing games. I mean, I'm, I was looking at the um, just the dynamics of each of those games: the two 0 loss for the Thorns against San Diego, and then the three three draw on that final day that cost them the Shield. Both times, Gotham and and San Diego, eight shots, four on target, and and um, you know Portland concedes three against Gotham, which is like you know feels like a lot given right. you know how Gotham enters that game, and then and then two against San Diego and. And the wave kept the thorns to only two shots on goal in that game. I think really, really shut down uh, for the most part as much as you can shut down Sophia Smith um, and, and just kind of the attack at large um, in Providence Park. And and obviously, you know, a big piece of this that we haven't really mentioned with San Diego is the defensive side. I mean, awards came out this past week. Naomi Gurma is up for Rookie of the Year, Defender of the Year, and MVP. Um, I don't have any real issue with any of that. I mean, the MVP part is you know, I think maybe a stretch to a degree, but not undeserved. Um, rookie of the year very much, defender of the year very much. So, um, you know, I think what San Diego's been able to do defensively and, and um, you know, with a, a mild rotation of players too, um, shouldn't get overlooked as well because, you know, Kaylee Real has stepped into that other center back spot. And then, you know, Kristen Westfall, Kristen McNabb have, have settled in. And then obviously Kaylin Sheridan has been very good all year had a very big mistake in, in that first round game, but um, you know, that'll be a, a key element again against this thorns team. So, um, you know, looking forward to that one. Um, I guess we, we, I said, we'd put a bow on Chicago season, um, you know, a tough season, obviously uh, a tough way to end it a seventh straight playoff 
appearance, I think should be noted. Um, and, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, none of those with, with a title um, and, and all under very different circumstances. So, um, you know, I think the base is there. It feels like there's, there's positive trajectory to a degree on the field. Again, I, w- I would qualify that with, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see where the red stars go from here and we're, we're going to see um, as ever in, a, in an NWSL off season, I think probably there's always player movement among every team. So um, yeah. Claire, any, anything else on, on Chicago or uh, looking ahead to the weekend that will, that will be. Um, I mean, you know, it's a top, it's a good old classic top, no, it's not top four. Kansas City was, they were the away team. But yeah, I was going to say top three, yeah. top three finishers make it to the semifinals. That seems about right. You know, um, I think Chicago did quite well for themselves in the game. But again, if you had said, you know, San Diego wins this two to one before the game starts, I go, yeah, that probably makes sense. Um, yeah, I I think the Chicago discussion is more of an offseason discussion, which will happen in the offseason. Um, but I think that similarly to what we were talking about, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, they they became a team in transition and the the floor never fully collapsed underneath them, which I think is a credit to to the leadership uh, within that squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, semifinals are ahead. 5 p.m. Eastern on Sunday is that Thorns Wave game, CBS Sports Network. And then also on CBS Sports Network right after that, essentially, it's rain versus current, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And uh, they will be playing for all those teams will be playing for a right to the final on October 29th. It's in Washington, DC at Audi field. And we'll see, maybe we have, maybe we get a Cascadia Derby in Washington, DC. Maybe we get a first time finalist. Uh, maybe we get an expansion team even in it. We'll see, but i um, excited to see that and um, keep it locked with us here on the pod. As I said, I'm hosting. Uh, we're excited for Claire who's been, and been great. Uh, here on the pod and, and you'll still hear her from, from time to time here. Um, she'll be doing a lot with just women's sports and um, check her out there and, and keep locked here with the pod. We'll be back next week to talk more playoffs. And as I mentioned, that world cup draw is coming and that's going to be plenty to digest uh, next weekend. So set your alarm clocks for that uh, coming up Saturday, Australia time uh, until then I'm Jeff Kasuf, your host, and thank you for listening to the equalizer podcast. Mm-hmm.